All right, Joshua, what are we on? I want to go back to Joshua 21 and then get to 22. And there's just a little portion of Joshua 21 I want to deal with before we jump into 22. Uh, the, the previous chapters that we've been going through, um, chapters going all the way back to, to chapter uh, 14, the division of the land, um, 15, the allotment to Judah, uh, 16, Ephraim, Manasseh, 18, the rest of the land, all this stuff. 19, Simeon, Zebulun, all those other tribes. 20, the cities of refuge. There's one tribe we haven't dealt with yet. It's the tribe of Levi. Uh, and we, we, we've been looking at the scripture, and we realize that Levi really doesn't have its own territory. It has a lot of territories throughout uh, the promised land. We've talked about that. And we talked about how uh, it, 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 there were two tribes that were kind of excluded, if you will, from having their own land. Do you remember who those tribes were? Levi's, Levi's one of them. The Simeon. Because of the sin that they committed in Edina's rape and all that stuff. Simeon was kind of enveloped. Amongst the other tribes, they had their tribe, but they were kind of forgotten about. They kind of disappear a little bit. Uh, but then you come to Levi, the tribe of Levi. And while they didn't have their own individual land allotment, they have multiple allotments throughout the, throughout the land as the priests. We come to this, they were part of the ones that was excluded originally because of, the, because of their anger and their fierceness and the, the hacking of people because of uh, Dinah's rape. But... But we come to this chapter, chapter 21, and let's just see what it says. Verse, 20, verse 1. Now the family heads of the Levites approached Eleazar the priest, Joshua son of Nun, and the heads of the other tribal families of Israel at Shiloh and Canaan, and said to them, The Lord commanded through Moses that you give us towns to live in, with pasture lands for our livestock. So as the Lord had commanded, the Israelites gave the Levites the following towns and pasture lands out of their own inheritance. And it lists, the rest of that chapter, all these lands and towns that they got. Now, what's the problem? They weren't supposed to get any. They weren't supposed to get any. Like Simeon, they were, they were, they were, says, you don't get to possess this. But yet they got it. Why? To understand, we've got to go back in the Bible again. Now, let, let's, let's go back to, um, because of what happened in Genesis 49, and this is just to remind ourselves, Genesis 49, because of their destruction of these people, Genesis 49, verse 7, this is to Simeon and Levi, verse 5, Simeon and Levi are brothers. Their swords are weapons of violence. Let me uh, not enter their council. Let me not join their assembly. For they have killed men in their anger and hamstrung oxen as they please. This is all in reference to Genesis 34. Because of the rape of Dinah. Cursed be their anger so fierce and their fury so cool. I will scatter them in Jacob and disperse them in Israel. So Simeon, as we know, has just kind of been absorbed and they just kind of they're there, but you don't really hear from them anymore. And Levi scattered, but now Levi comes back and says, wait, wait, we still get, like, give us what God said we could have. Well, 
in Genesis 49, he said, you don't really get much. So why do they get to come back and now possess it? To understand that, we have to go to Exodus 32. So after what's happened in Genesis um, 34 with their with their uh, revenge on those uh, on, uh, because of the, the rape of Dinah, after the curse of Genesis 49, we come to Exodus 32. And in Exodus 32, we read another account of um, um, Exodus 32, verses 25 uh, and following. Um, Moses has been up um, uh, up on the mountain with God, receiving the Ten Commandments. He comes down, and all the people have 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 uh, just lost their minds. Uh, they melt down all their gold, and they make a golden calf. They're dancing around it, and just being stupid, and saying, "This is the God who brought us out of Egypt," and all this stuff. In verse 25, Moses saw that the people were running wild and that Aaron had uh, let them get out of control and so became a laughingstock to their enemies. So he stood at the entrance to the camp and said, Whoever is for the Lord, come to me. And who came to him? The Levites. The Levites. Then he said, and then this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says, Each man strap a sword to his side, go back and forth through the camp from one end to the other, each killing his brother and friend and neighbor. <clears throat> the Levites did as Moses commanded, and that day about 3,000 of the people died. Then Moses said, You have been set apart to the Lord today, for you were against your own sons and brothers, and he has blessed you this day. So Moses comes down, and he says, All this going on, and, he, and he's like, We. We have to eradicate this. We, 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 idolatry will lead us astray and will be our downfall. And God is most abhorred by idolatry than any other sin. And he sees his people and, and, and he says, someone's got to put an end to this. And the only tribe to step up are the Levites. None of the other tribes do. And it sounds really brutal. Strap on a sword. These are your neighbors. These are your family. Uh, but there's some things there in your life that's got to be cut out. And they do. And God says, because you've done that, I've taken the curse away. And because you've done that, you're blessed. In this act for the Levites... They, in essence, reversed the curse of Genesis 49. And they were allowed to possess land. Everything in the Old Testament that we see in the physical world is a representation of what we know in the New Testament, in the spiritual world. And so take what you see in the Old Testament, physically lived out, and apply it spiritually. When we allow 
things in our lives to go unchecked and to run rampant sin, idolatry leading us away from the worship of God, God says that is going to bring a curse, destruction on your life. And the only way to get out from under that it will rob you of your inheritance. It will rob you of all the blessing that God would pour out on life. It would rob you of living in the spirit-filled life, which is what the, the promised land was a representation of. The only way you reverse that is to do the hard, brutal work with the sword, which is the word of God, and go through the bloody work of cutting it out of your life. They took the sword to and destroyed that which led them astray from the Lord. Painful but necessary. And, 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 and so because of that, then, they can say in Joshua 21, God promised us this. Now give it to us because we've come back. In essence, it's Repentance. To return in obedience from the things that have been disobedient reverses the curse. Uh, and it's little wonder why there are so many people uh, trying to do the church thing yet constantly live lives of defeat because we haven't taken the sword to those things of our lives that we know we have to put to death and just refuse to. And we let so many other things get in the way of our devotion uh, and our passion uh, and our singular focus of God and his kingdom. And we know it. And yet we refuse to take the sword to that which is very, very close, near and dear and personal to us. I just wanted to address that. From chapter 21. Let's just sit there with you. Whatever it says to you, it says to you. I love the way chapter 21 ends. Not one of all the Lord's good promises to the house of Israel failed. Everyone was fulfilled. What a beautiful statement of God, his character, and his heart. When his people repent and return to him. When we repent and return to him, not one of the Lord's good promises will fail. Every one of them will be fulfilled. You know why we have all of this Old Testament for us? Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. If you want to turn there, you can. If not, I'll just read it for you. 1 Corinthians 10, verse 11 says this. These Things happen now. The, when he says these things, he's referring to Israel's history. The Old Testament stuff we're reading right now. All these things we're reading, all of Israel's history. These things happened to them as examples and were written down as warnings for us. On whom the fulfillment or the hope of the ages has come. All of this in the Old Testament has been written down, not for posterity's sake, 
Not because it's a good history book to keep in mind. But all of these things have been written down for us as examples to us. Now, they're not examples so that we don't go slaughter people who commit sins against women. I mean, that's, that's not that type. It's a spiritual example. That's what I'm saying. So, so, so we, we don't go out and take the sword and start slaughtering people who are doing wrong. It's, it's the spiritual example. That's why I say take what is there physically in the Old Testament and draw the spiritual examples and learn from it. That's, 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 what, that's, what, that's what the writer of 1 Corinthians 10 is telling us. All these things happen. So they're examples so, for us as warnings. On whom the fulfillment of the, the hope of the ages has come. So, so let's read all of this again and again and again as, warn, as examples and warnings for us of what, of what to watch for, right? And so then we come to chapter 22. And, um, and have you ever noticed how when someone gets an idea about you, even if it's a wrong idea, it's real hard to change their mind, right? And you can show them all the proof you want, doesn't matter. If they've made up their mind, they've made up their mind. Have you ever noticed that? Have you noticed that, that, that we do that to others too? <laughs> You know, once they got on my bad side, I just, you know, I just. The real. Have you ever noticed how sometimes we make judgments about people based on what we've heard, not what we know? That's what social media is for. It's what the news media is for. It's called propaganda. And we hear stuff, we might not know it, but we hear it. And it's real hard to change our minds. Well, enter chapter 22. Then Joshua summoned the Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh, and said to them, You have done all that Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you, and have obeyed me in everything I commanded. For a long time now, to this very day, you have not deserted your brothers, but have carried out the mission the Lord your God gave you. What was that mission that those two and a half tribes fulfilled? Do you remember? Eradicating the, Come across the inhabitants of the land. Helping eradicate the inhabitants of the land. They didn't want to cross over the Jordan. They said, we've made it far enough with God. We're, we, we've kind of experienced, some, and we're content. We're going to stay where we are. Is that okay, Moses? And Moses said, that's okay as long as all your fighting men continue the conquest and don't leave your brothers high and dry. Go with them into the promised land. Once they're all settled, then you can go back to your people if you choose not to truly enter into what God has prepared for you. If you want to sell yourself short, that's up to you, but you're not going to sell other people short. And so he summoned these two and a half tribes. You've done all the um, uh, all all the all that Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you, and have obeyed me in everything. Have carried out the mission of the Lord your God. Basically, what he's saying is, you people of God acted like the people of God. Good for you. You did what God said, like you were supposed to do. The people of God act like the people of God, and they do and do what He says. 
When he says, for uh, verse 3, for a long time now to this very day, you have not deserted your brothers, but have carried out the mission of the Lord, uh, the Lord your God gave you. That long time now means seven years. That's how long this took. So when they said, we want to stay here, is that okay? Most said, yeah, but you got to go fight. They said, okay. They didn't realize that the time was going to take them seven years. So they've been seven years away from their wives, away from their children, away from their livestock, away from their homes. That's a long time. You know what obedience is? Obedience is a long walk in the same direction. And they were obedient. And, and, and if you want a good epitaph for your life, you have carried out the mission the Lord your God gave you. Beautiful. Just beautiful. They were faithful and they were obedient. Please understand that obedience does not produce a relationship with God. Obedience proves a relationship with God. If we seek to be obedient to produce a right relationship with God, that's works-based religion and it always fails. Obedience is not intended to produce a relationship with God. Obedience simply proves a relationship with God. And when God's people are disobedient, it proves the opposite. And they prove their relationship with God by their obedience. Please understand, friends, we are not called at all to live perfectly because we fail all the time. We're simply called to follow obediently. That's what James says in James 1.22. Don't be hearers of the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Obey. And so the verse, uh, chapter goes on, verse 4. Now that the Lord your God has given your brothers rest as he promised, return to your homes in the land that Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you on the other side of the Jordan. It says, go on back now. Verse 5, here's the instruction, but be very careful to keep the commandment and the law that Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you to love the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, to obey his commands, to hold fast to him and to serve him with all your heart, and with all your soul. He said, y'all are going back away there and we don't have text messaging yet. That's coming, but we don't have it yet. And we don't have Zoom. And so I'm not going to get to see you much anymore. We're going to be separated by this big thing called a river. And it's not going to be easy to go back and forth. And so, so what I need to leave you with is, is the admonition to be very careful to keep his commands. You've been so good to, to this point. Don't drop off. Walk in his ways, obey his commands, hold fast. Notice what it says, hold fast to what? To him. Yeah, it doesn't say hold fast to the law, hold fast to the commands, hold fast to obedience. It says hold fast to him. This is what Jesus said. He said, abide in me. He, he, he didn't just say do what I say. He, you have to abide in me. You hold fast to me. Verse 6, And Joshua blessed them and sent them away, and they went to their homes. To the half-tribe of Manasseh, Moses had given land in Bashan, and to the other half-tribe, uh, half of the tribe Joshua gave land on the west side of the Jordan with their brothers. When Joshua sent them home, he blessed them, verse 8, saying, Return to your homes with your great wealth, 
with large herds of livestock with silver, gold, bronze, and iron, and a great quantity of clothing, and divide with your brothers the plunder from your enemies. And so take everything back with you, and everybody who's back there who didn't, who wasn't involved in the fight, share it all with them. This goes back to King David uh, when he was leading a ragtag band of brothers, and um, they went out to conquer an enemy and uh, left all the people and possessions back at Ziklag, and the enemy came on, came in and took away all their women and uh, uh, and uh, and all their possessions. And and David and his men were distraught, and uh, they had just got back from war. They came home and they found that their 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 homes had been ravished. And he's like, we got to get on a war path again and go get our women and children and possessions back. And <clears throat> part of the men were like, we can't go. We're, we're, we just came back out from a, a, a war. We can't go fight another one. And Dave said, if you can't go, you stay here. Me and the boys will go out and take care of business. They went out, took care of business, got the women back, got all their supplies. They came back. And, uh, and he said, now share everything with everybody, those who didn't go and those who did go. And, and uh, the story goes that some are like, well, why should we give everything? To they didn't even do anything. <laughs> and Dave's like, because we're family, man. We share it all. And he made a law, a, a, an, an everlasting law for the people of God at that point. That those who fight and those who stay will all share in the plunder. And it's a beautiful representation of the body of Christ. Because the Bible says... That some parts of the body do a lot of work and other parts of the body are unseen. And neither of them is more important than another. Right? The lungs are pretty important, but they're unseen. The head is pretty well seen. If the lungs said, I want to be more seen and more prevalent, I want to get outside of this cage that I'm trapped in. And all of a sudden popped out, the body would die pretty quickly. Right? The little pinky, it means nothing until you hit it with a hammer. <laughs> right? See this finger right here? Okay. I, I didn't realize how much this fingernail matters until I did that to it. it you, don't, you don't realize until. And, and so part of this is, is, is like, look, it doesn't matter what role you play in the kingdom. Every role is vital and crucial and rewarded by God the same. And so he says, make sure you share. It's in line with what King a law that King David had made way back in the day. Verse 9, so the, the, the Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh left the Israelites at Shiloh and Canaan and returned to Gilead, their own, uh, to their own land, which they had acquired in accordance with the command of the Lord. through So everything seems great at this point, right? Everything is like, okay, this is, this, it worked out perfectly. Like, watch what happens. When they came to Gileloth, uh, near the Jordan in the land of Canaan, the Reubenites, the Gadites, half tribe of Manasseh, built an imposing altar there by the Jordan. When it uses the word imposing, it means absolutely m- m- huge. Huge. Like you could see it from miles. It was gigantic, like imposing. And when the Israelites heard that they had built the altar on the border of Canaan and Gilead near the Jordan on the Israelite side, the whole assembly of Israel gathered at Shiloh to go to war against them. There are four things that the devil uses to start a civil war 
within God's people. There are four tactics he uses, and we're going to see them in this, in this, in this passage. Everything's going great, okay? Everything's going great. And, of course, the devil, when stuff's going great, he says, i got to stir some stuff up. And so these are four tactics that he'll use to start a civil war. He'll use this to start a civil war in your family, in your marriage, in your church, with your friends, in your community. Remember 1 Corinthians 10, 11. These things are given to us as examples and warnings. And when the Israelites heard that they built an altar on the border of the Canaan of the Gilath near the Jordan on the Israelite side, the whole assembly of Israel gathered at Shiloh to go to war against them. The first thing that the devil does is get us to listen to hearsay. Did they see what they did? No. Did they know definitively what they did? No. What happened? Someone ran their mouth and started saying, did you hear? Did you know? Did, did you see what that posted? Did you see what the news said? Someone starts running their mouth. They heard. And they just absolutely ran with it. Um... Leviticus 19.16. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus 19.16. Says this. Do not go about... These are, these are laws. Like this is part of, of God's law. Do not go about spreading slander among your people. What it means literally is gossip. Don't be... A, another translation says don't be a tale bearer. Don't tell tales. That you've heard. Don't pass on information that you've heard. Don't talk about other people that you don't know. That's the fastest way to start. So it's Proverbs 18, 13. Proverbs 18, 13 says this. He who answers before listening, that is his folly and his shame. Just keep your mouth shut. Um, the best thing to do when you hear something that you don't know is fact, the person who's asking you or who's telling you, challenge them. Do you know that for a fact or is it something you've heard? How have you confirmed that as a fact? Don't tell me what you think. Tell them, go, have you gone directly to the person, as Matthew 18 says? Usually, people like to pass on information. They don't like to be biblical. And when anybody passes on any information about anything else, the best thing you can do is say, you know what, can I quote you about this to other people? And nine times out of ten, they'll say, no, I don't want to get involved with anything. I would just pass on information. Well, then keep your freaking mouth shut. And the first thing the devil will do is get us to listen to hearsay. And the moment we listen to it, we're ready for battle. Right? 
Don't ever take action based solely on what you've heard. The second thing. So the Israelites sent Phinehas, son of Eleazar, the priest of the land of Gilead, to Reuben, Gad, and Haftar, Manasseh. With him they sent ten of the chief men, one from each of the tribes of Israel, each the head of the family of divisions among the Israelite clans. So they hear this. They listen to hearsay. The second thing, a step in this, um, is they get worked up before they check anything out. They heard something, they listened to hearsay, and then all of a sudden they get all worked up about it, and now they're on a the war path. They sent Phineas and with these other people to take care of business. I don't know how many times people have gotten into trouble because they've heard something, and then they're like, well, let's go. Do you know why they sent Phineas? You have to go back to Numbers 25 to know why. We'll get a hint of it in verse 17. Phineas says to him, was not the sin of Peor enough for us? He's referring to what happened in Numbers 25. So go back to Numbers 25 and realize why they sent Phineas. They get all worked up because of what they've heard, and they are worked up. They've not checked anything out. They're just worked up. Numbers 25. This, during the whole Balaam's uh, being, being paid to prophesy evil against Israel. When Israel was staying in Shittim, the men began to indulge in sexual immorality with Moabite women who invited them into the sacrifice of their gods. So God's people are all camped out. All these Moabite women are around them. They're, they're, the, the enemy is trying to destroy God's people. And all these Moabite women start coming into the camp saying, hey, come party with us. And so these this Israelite men start to, to, to co- consort with these Moabite women. <clears throat> the people ate and bowed down to these gods. So Israel joined in worshiping the Baal of Peor. This is what, this is what uh, um, Phineas says. Didn't you learn anything from, from Peor? They started worshiping the Baal of Peor and the Lord's anger burned against them. The Lord said to Moses, take all the leaders of these people, kill them and expose them in broad daylight before the Lord so that the Lord's fierce anger may turn away from Israel. So Moses said to Israel's judges, each of you must put to death those of your men who have joined in the worship of Baal Peor. Then, as this is going on, Moses is talking to the leaders of the people. An Israelite man brought to his family a Midianite woman right before the eyes of Moses and the whole assembly of Israel while they were weeping at the entrance of the tent of meeting. In complete defiance of Moses, in defiance of God, an Israelite man brings this mobile woman and says "Eh," to all of you and what God says, I'm going to do this in the view of everyone. When Phinehas... Son of Eleazar, the son of Aaron, the priest, saw this. He left the assembly, took a spear in his hand, and followed the Israelite into his tent. He drove the spear through both of them, through the Israelite and into the woman's body. Then the plague against the Israelites was stopped, but those who died in the plague numbered about 24,000. What does it mean when he drives a spear through the man and into the woman's body? While they were in the act, in defiant, in they're like Phineas with this zeal for the Lord takes the spear, boom, through the man who's on top of the woman into the woman. 
Verse 10, the Lord said to Moses, Phinehas, son of Eleazar, the son of Aaron, the priest, has turned my anger away from the Israelites, for he was as, as zealous as I am for my honor among them, so that my, in my zeal I did not put an end to them. Therefore, tell him, I am making my covenant of peace with him. He and his descendants will have a covenant of a lasting priesthood because he was zealous for the honor of his God and made atonement for the Israelites. Do you know why they wanted to send Phinehas? Because he knew how to take care of business. They weren't playing. They didn't want to talk to these people. They didn't want to find out any truth. They had listened to hearsay. They made up their mind what was right, and they were going to take care of business. And this is how the devil creates civil war in our families, in our marriages, with our friends, in our church. We hear something, we feel something, and we make up our mind. And we just go to battle. Verse 16, the whole assembly of the Lord, well, 15. When they went to Gilead, the Reuben, uh, to Reuben, Gad and Haftar and Manasseh, they said to them, the whole assembly of the Lord says, how could you break faith with the God of Israel like this? How could you turn away from the Lord and build uh, yourselves an altar in rebellion against him now? See, what they're doing is they're invoking God to justify their own agenda. Listen to this accusation. They have no idea what, if the people built an altar. They have no idea why they built an altar. They've not talked to the people at all about the altar. They've not talked to the people about what they've done. All they've done is invoke the Lord's name to support their agenda. Right? You've got to be very careful. When we say, my way is Yahweh. Right? And that's when he uses this line, was not the sin of Peor enough for us? Up to this very day, we had not cleansed ourselves from that sin, even though a plague fell on the community of the Lord. And are you now turning away from the Lord? If you rebel against the Lord today, tomorrow he'll be angry with the whole community of Israel. If the land you possess is defiled, come over the Lord's land where the Lord's tabernacle stands and share with the land with us. He said, look, if you do this, he won't just take it on you. He'll take it on all of us. Remember the sin of Achan? Like we lost a whole battle because of one guy. Now, if you two and a half tribes turn away, imagine what he's going to do the whole, like you. And then he says this, but do not rebel against the Lord or against us by building an altar then what? for yourselves other than the altar of our God. And then he actually references Achan. When Achan, son of Zerah, acted unfaithfully regarding the devoted things, did not the wrath come upon the whole community of Israel? He was not the only one who died for his sin. He said, don't, don't do this and build this for yourselves. What's happening here, and it's, 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 a, it's, a, it's a kind of a, an odd rendering of it in the English, but what they're doing here is... is is, is giving false witness to their actions. They're giving false witness to their actions. Here, here, here's what I mean. When the Bible gives the command in the Old Testament, don't bear false witness, the New Testament gives us an example of what it is to bear false witness. False witness doesn't just mean lying on the witness stand. 
False witness, that word, false witness, is actually used in the New Testament in Matthew 26, verses 60 and 61. When Jesus is arrested and on trial. And it says they brought forth false witnesses to say that of Jesus, this man said he would destroy the temple. Now, is that what Jesus said? No. Sure it is. Well, he, but he meant himself. Is that what he said? Yes. yes, it's absolutely what he said. They had the right information, but the wrong implication. Right. Mm-hmm. That's what a false witness is. Mm-hmm. You have the right information, but you give your skewed implication. Mm-hmm. They had the right information that there was an altar built, but the skewed informa- implication is that it was for themselves. Mm-hmm. So they could worship God to take away the curse from the land. That's not why they did it. And any time we skew truthful information to fit our agenda in a way that supports the position we hold, it's a false witness. Every time when we tell a story and put the inflection and the emphasis on what supports our belief and our agenda. Every time we tell a story and roll the eyes at the appropriate time. You understand? It's false witness. And all of a sudden, when everything was great, you got people who listen, who listened to hearsay, who got worked up before they checked anything out, who um, invoked their self-righteousness against someone else. And bore false witness, the right information with the wrong implication. That's all it took to create what potentially was a horrific civil war. And destroy not only God's people, but God's work. Do you see how this easy is? How easy this is to do? And how common it is? Yeah? And so these guys are just all kinds of wrong. They're all kinds of wrong. But, yeah, please. So you've got this huge army from Israel yep. here and then, then two and a half tribes. tribes here. Mm-hmm. They're standing there facing each other discussing this, mm-hmm. this conversation mm-hmm. like that. Okay. Mm-hmm. Just now, the, these guys were, were all kinds of wrong. Uh, and, and, and the devil was manipulating them to, to cause potentially this horrific civil war. But they're not the only ones at fault because there's two and a half tribes that are not where they should be. If the promised land represents the spirit-filled life, they're outside of that. So in the spiritual world, we could talk about them as what we call carnal Christians. The only thing carnal means is fleshly. Just live in accordance with the, the, the ways of the world. So they're not living in the promise that God had planned for them. They're outside of that. They're just lit. They're Christian. They're God's people, but they're just living according to the flesh. That's what started this whole problem in the first place. And so those those might be the four ways that the devil uses against people who are spirit-filled to cause dissension and civil war. He also uses 
Christ followers who are not living according to the Spirit. And, and this is where we pick up these. Verse 21. Then Reuben, Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh replied to the heads of the clans of Israel, the mighty, the mighty one, God the Lord. The mighty one, God the Lord. He knows. Let me, let me just tell you what's going on here. When they invoke this name, the mighty one, God the Lord, the mighty one, God the Lord, that's used one other time in Scripture in Psalm 50, verse 1. And what it is, is El Elohim Jehovah. That's what they're saying. Like they're throwing all the weight of God behind them. El Elohim Jehovah. Like the Most High Exalted, the Creator, the Almighty Sustainer, like they're, they're, they're bringing everything with them. And what they're saying is this, and this is where we've got to be careful. God knows. Don't question me. Don't try to correct me. God knows my heart. You have no right to question my motives because God knows. Don't, don't sit there and question me and ask me and try to correct me. Even though you have God's law on your side, God knows my heart. You, you don't have the right to confront me. See, it's real. we get on real shaky ground when we live outside of God's command and say, yeah, but my heart is right before him. We're on real shaky ground. It's a sign of, of, if you want to use the word karna, like fleshy Christian. When we say, though God said, worship him only at this altar, God knows my heart. Uh, we, we could talk for days about what God's command has been and our response is, yeah, I don't do that exactly. What he, I don't do exactly what he said and how he said to do it, but God knows my heart. I mean, I'm, you know, he, he knows how much I love him. I have to prove it by being in church every week. I mean, my goodness. Sometimes the wine trail is just calling. <laughs> every week, like 10%? God knows my heart. He doesn't need my money. Like witness with my words? I mean, they, God knows my heart. He knows. I, I, just, I just show him with my life. Like read the Bible all the time. God knows my heart. He knows I'm thinking about him. Okay, probably not us. Other people probably do that. But. And let Israel know if this is... No, 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 I appreciate what they're saying, though. If this has been a rebellion or disobedience to the Lord, do not spare us this day. So we get it. If, if, if we are what, you, what you've heard, if we are what you heard, let God destroy us. If we've built, an, uh, uh, built our own altar to turn away from the Lord and to offer burnt offerings and grain offerings or, or to sacrifice fellowship offerings on it, may the Lord himself call us to account. No, we did it for fear that someday your descendants might say to ours, what do you have to do with the Lord, the God of Israel? So he's saying, we built this so that your people and your descendants can't come back on us and say, we have no part of you because we're not living where you are. Now, this is what happens. The Lord has made the Jordan, or, or uh, no, we did it. Let me go back to verse 24. No, we did it for fear that someday your descendants might say to ours, what do you have to do 
with the Lord, the God of Israel, the Lord made, a Jordan, made the Jordan a boundary between us and you. You Reubenites and Gadites, you have no share in the Lord. So the, what they're saying is, we did it because we were fearful that your descendants might come back to our descendants and say, because we're, in the, we're separated, we really don't have a play with the inheritance and the promise that God's given all of his people. And do you notice who they blame? God. God. Well, God, God put the river there. So, <clears throat> do you ever notice that when we get really fleshy, we start blaming God for stuff? This goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden. Adam got real fleshy and he blamed his wife. And she was already fleshy and she blamed the devil, the serpent. But it's interesting, in Adam's blame of Eve, he really blamed God. Because he said, well, this is the one you picked for me. You could have picked better. Really? <laughs> right? The woman you gave me. Uh, and we start when we start saying, well, God has done or God has allowed that. Why? That's why I'm not anymore. That's, that's a pretty carnal Christian. But it goes further than that. <clears throat> uh, the, 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 the other thing that they say is, so your descendants might cause ours to start fearing the Lord. Um, when we... When we start looking at, at, at other people for the reason we're not following God, um, that's a real fleshy Christian. Well, I used to go to church, but, you know, I just got involved with this church. They were just all hypocrites, and, and their pastor was an idiot. And, and my kids used to go to youth group, but then... They're around some of those other kids at youth group who are just sleeping around and getting drunk. And so our kids are like, no, nah, we're not part of that anymore. I mean, this still happens to this day, right? They weren't live, they weren't, they they were responsible for where they lived and how they lived. It wasn't anybody else's fault. And it's interesting that they try to preemptively blame other people's kids for their kids eventually walking away from God. There's a, there's a, there's a key in here, and the key is that you know our family is our responsibility. It's not anybody else's responsibility. And so, so so th- those those are three ways that that. That, that a Christian gets to live a, a carnally. And, but, but, there, but there's a fourth way, and it, it has to do back at verse 10. I, I kind of glossed over it. The, the, the fourth way that Christians live really carnally is this. When they came to Gililoth near the Jordan, the land of Canaan, the Reubenites, the Gaddis, half tribe, Manasseh, built an imposing altar there by the Jordan. Um. No, they weren't ever supposed to build that altar. They were out of line. God said, you'll worship me where I put my altar. At one time it was at, Shil- at Gilead. At one time it was at Shiloh. Then it was in Jerusalem. But he said, where I put is where you will worship me. If you choose to live and make it a hardship on you, that's on you. But you will worship me at my altar. I'm one God. I'm worshiped in one place by one people. 
they chose to build an altar. Basically, they said this. I will worship God's my way. I will worship God my way, not the way he desires to be worshiped. And every time we say stuff like, I can worship God in the mountains as well as I can at the church. God has never ordained that as a, the place to worship him as the body of believers. Let us not neglect, therefore, the gathering of together. I'll do it my way, God. Well, I, I said you will worship me in spirit and truth. With your whole heart and the truth of the gospel and the dignity of my son, I'll accept no other. And when, when we allow the, all these other things to take precedence over gathering together in worship and praise and service and ministry and giving, we're building altars we're not supposed to build. Back to verse 26. That is why we said, let us get ready and build an altar. But watch this. But not for burnt offerings or sacrifices. On the contrary. Okay, what's the purpose of an altar? Sacrifices and worship. We're going to build an altar, but not for sacrifices and offerings. What good is a bloodless altar? No good. It's a bloodless altar. A bloodless altar will only cause problems. I'm going to set it up so it looks good. But there's no commitment. There's no death to self. There's no sacrifice. There's no cost to it. There's no cost in it. I look good when I'm there. But God forbid... There's any blood and sacrifice attached to it. On the contrary, it should be a witness between us and you, the generations that follow, that will worship the God at his sanctuary with our burnt offerings, sacrifices, and fellowship offerings. Then in the future, descendants will not be able to say to ours, you have no share in the Lord. And we said, if they ever say this to us or to our descendants, we'll look uh, we will answer, look at the replica of the Lord's altar, which our fathers built, not for burnt offerings and sacrifices, but as a witness between us and you. Far be it from us to rebel against the Lord and turn away from him today by building an altar for burnt offerings and grain offerings and sacrifices other than the altar of the Lord, uh, the Lord our God that stands before this tabernacle. So they said, look, we have really good intentions. We don't want to be cut off from God's people. And this is our reminder that we're part of you and you're part of us. And any generation that comes will say, well, look, the, the altars in those days, the shape of the altar indicated the God they worshipped. And so it was a exact replica of the altar. It was really, really big, indicating that they worshipped the God of the Hebrews. So it was, you know, so it was great intention. Really bad idea. Good heart, bad choice. Because they chose not to press in and commit to fully engage. Um, I'm going to come back to that in just a minute. Let me just finish this chapter. 
When Phineas, the priest, and the leaders of the community, the heads of the clans of the Israelites, heard the, what Reuben, Gad, and Manasseh had to say, they were pleased. And Phineas and Eleazar, the priest, said to Reuben, Gad, and Manasseh, Today we know that the Lord is with us because we have not acted unfaithfully toward the Lord in this matter. Now you have rescued the Israelites from the, hand of, from the Lord's hand. Then Phineas, son of Eleazar, the priest, and the leaders returned uh, to Canaan from their meeting with the Reubenites and Gadites in Gilead and reported to the Israelites. They were glad to hear the report and praised God, and they talked no more about going to war against them to devastate the country where the Reubenites and the Gadites lived. So the devil sought all he could his best to divide and conquer them, and he couldn't. So the Lord won a victory because he... They, 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 they didn't just slaughter each other. Even though that is the devil's task, right? To steal, kill, and destroy. All of that was averted, and that was good. Um, but it's interesting that though that trouble was averted, these two and a half tribes had a good heart, made a bad choice. They didn't press in and commit fully. And because of that, they continually faced trouble and hardship. And when the Assyrians came in to take over the land of Israel, they were the first to be taken captive. So though they were spared here, living in that carnal way, they suffered the most defeat, the most heartache, and the most hardship. And that's what happens when Christ followers don't press in and commit and live a fleshly life. So, um, let me just say one more thing. Uh, just in our, in our general living and, uh, and being with people. Um, it is good as the, as the majority of tribes did, watch for heresy and, and flagrant sin. That's good. The body needs to, to be mindful and watch for heresy and flagrant sin. Um, and confront about it. And, and confront it when it's, when it's apparent. They watch for it. And when they thought they saw it, they didn't confront it. They talked about it. Right? And so when we see it in each other and we have the relationship with each other, say, hey, you know what? What's up, man? I mean, this, like your attitude right now is really not good. Or what are you doing? You haven't, I see you slipping. Are you okay? I mean, just watch for it and, and confront it. And, but, but don't judge motives. Right? We don't, we don't know why people are doing what they're doing. We don't know the story of the untold story. Every one of us has an untold story that is motivations for what we do and don't do. And so, yeah, watch for it and make sure that the people you're connected to are, you know, walking with Jesus. Best, best you can watch for that. And, and don't judge motives about what they're doing or why they're doing it. And, and if you see something, go to the source. Right? I mean, that's what they didn't do. They talked to each other, they got riled up, and then they were ready to fight. It's amazing what happens. 
When you go directly to the source and say, hey, this is what I heard. This is what I heard about you. This is what I heard you said about me. This is what I heard is going down. What, what's up? Do you know how many things are just squelched and, and handled right then when you go right? I mean, that's Matthew 18. Don't talk to someone else about it. Don't even, you don't even need to pray about it. You need to go to the source first. Just, uh, and, and, and then whatever you do, just be super gentle and super full of grace, right? Proverbs 15.1, a gentle answer turns away wrath. I mean, all they would have to do is just say, hey, guys, God, like, what? I heard you're building an altar. Yeah, I see it. What? What's going on? Like what? So anyway, all these things were given to us as examples and for warnings. So let's learn from them, yeah? Yeah.